This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 247. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> hey, when you're not on the podcast, uh, you know, producing or whatever it is you do, does that mean we don't give you a paycheck? Um... I don't, I've never gotten a paycheck as far as I know. Oh, really? Oh, cool. We're, we're getting all this work for free. Yeah, That's even yeah. better. You get what you paid for, right? Oh, be careful what you wish for. Oh. Awesome. Hey, folks, welcome to this episode. This being Tuesday, August 14th. It is a news episode day. We've got a bunch of great stories to cover, including a bunch. I mean, we've got one, two, three, four, five. I think we've got five great justified safe stories we're going to cover. We've got a whole bunch of legislative updates. We've got some stuff coming out of California. We've got some stuff about uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, confirmation hearings. We've got... Uh, Stuff going on in Maryland and Washington State. If you're in any of those states, you're going to want to hear about. And for all the rest of us, this is still really relevant stuff to hear about. Because chances are, if something, particularly if something's going badly in terms of gun rights somewhere, chances are it's coming to a state house, a governor's office, a city or county uh, 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 meeting room, whatever, soon. So, yeah, we got to stay on top of this stuff, and we got to keep up the the good the good fight here for gun rights in uh, in this nation. So, previewing just a little bit of that, um, we got a story here where a 16 year old girl had to shoot and kill her mother's boyfriend who was trying to kill her, who was trying to kill the mother. Yeah, and, that's uh, a crazy one. And and one of the and like her little brother was the one that grabbed the gun and then she used the gun and shot and killed the boyfriend. That's kind of crazy, man. Yeah, I, you know. And I got I have some mixed feelings about this. You know, when I hear these stories like this, but uh, still fascinating nonetheless. And we're going to talk about it here. Um, California considering a number of anti-gun proposals, a few pro-gun ones, but mostly anti-gun. That's weird. Yeah, and then we have a political dispute on Facebook that uh, ended with shots being fired. And, hmm. and and you get you got to hear that story because that that it's like what wait we're having an argument on Facebook and that never somehow happens, we one. end up shoot you know shooting people or shooting somebody um, so obviously it went from online to offline and and it got ugly really fast so uh, stay tuned lots of great coverage here on the Concealed Carry podcast but first today's episode is brought to you by Travel Week sale we've got a a sale going on all this week we're calling it Travel Week. Uh, which we've got a ton of great products. We have the Traveler's Guide to the Firearm Laws of the 50 States. We've got um, our online concealed carry permit course is available, uh, also marked down for sale. We've got uh, handgun safes. we got products from Gun Vault. We've got stuff from Sports of Field in that category. We've got little handgun cases. We've got DVDs from Kyle Lamb and uh, VTAC. We've got uh, trauma kit. We've got uh, zip tie cuffs. <laughs> yeah, I got to have some of those, right? Uh, especially considering how often we tell people to 
not probably be arresting and holding people at gunpoint on the podcast, uh, depending on the situation. Flashlights, lots of great stuff this week. Uh, now, why are those travel things? Because those are objects that you can take with you on the plane. You never know when you're going to need a pair of zip ties on the plane for putting somebody in cuffs. <laughs> Unruly passengers. <laughs> anyway, everything that I just mentioned there, on sale this week, 15% off. If you just go to our site, concealedcarry.com, go to our shop, and use the coupon code TRAVELWEEK15. That'll get you a 15% off discount off many of those products. So check it out. Appreciate your support of our online store and this podcast. So with that, Matthew, I think we need to get into this week's case of the week with attorney Andrew Branca. I agree. Right? Over at the Law of Self-Defense. Uh, we missed him, I think, last week and maybe the week before that. I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, I keep everything straight. Yeah. So he had some stuff going on and it just it just fell through. It's just one of those things that happens sometimes. So we're back and he's got a great case. Uh, actually, he's going to be talking about the George Zimmerman case, which is very timely considering we have this other so-called <laughs> stand your ground case in Florida over that parking space. <laughs> so every time I hear that that's a stand your ground case, I want to like smash my head on the desk and like stop. every, every news story, every it, single one. Every, yes. All, all news sites. I swear. I see Florida stand your ground, Florida stand your ground. And it's like, Oh man, like they're just proliferating this. Uh, it's, it's, it's proliferating a neg- negativity towards stand your ground laws because right. The general public hears this and go, well, clearly there's something wrong here if the law permits this dude to shoot this other dude over a parking space, which it wasn't necessarily about, but, you know, over being shoved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Andrew's got some great uh, insights um, on a similar case, meaning the George Zimmerman case. And so let's cue up that case of the week now. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. With the documentary by Jay-Z, Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story in the news as it airs its six episodes, I thought it worthwhile to make this Case of the Week about the three lies commonly derived from doctoring the recording of George Zimmerman's 911 call to police in the moments before he was viciously attacked by Trayvon Martin. For those interested in having the complete undoctored audio file, you can download that by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash 911. Now, the 911 call begins when George Zimmerman calls the non-emergency police number when he saw a suspicious person, as he'd been instructed in his neighborhood watch training by the police. That suspicious person would, of course, turn out to be Trayvon Martin. The first lie commonly derived from dockering this audio is intended to make Zimmerman appear to be explicitly racist, as evidenced by his spontaneous notification to the dispatcher that Trayvon, quote-unquote, looks black. Why would Trayvon being black be noteworthy? Does Zimmerman think all black people are inherently suspicious? Isn't that explicitly racist? The doctored version of the audio is typically presented like this. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. He looks black. 
Sounds pretty racist, right? <laughs> well, here's the actual undoctored audio. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. Well, look at that. Once the dispatcher's portion is kept in place, we have a bit of context. The doctored version lacked. Specifically, we have an utterly innocent explanation for why Zimmerman mentioned that Trayvon, quote-unquote, looked black, because the dispatcher asked him. For whatever reason, the Rest in Power documentary, at least the first episode, does not make this particular lie out of the 911 audio. The second commonly derived lie from doctoring this audio tape is that Zimmerman got out of his car out of malice to pursue the fleeing Trayvon on his own initiative because, I guess, racist. The doctored version of the audio is typically presented like this, and this is how it was presented on episode one of Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story. Now you go in straight through the entrance, and then you make a left. Uh, yeah. You go straight in. Don't turn and make a left. He's running. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Obviously, even this doctored version of the audio cannot factually support the narrative that Zimmerman got out of his car contrary to police orders because the dispatcher never referenced Zimmerman's car at all. Further, the only sentence even vaguely related to Zimmerman being out of his car was the dispatcher saying, okay, we don't need you to do that regarding Zimmerman following Trayvon. And that was said only after Zimmerman was already out of his car. In short, at no point prior to Zimmerman already being out of the car did the dispatcher say anything that could even be remotely interpreted as ordering Zimmerman to stay inside his vehicle. And even after Zimmerman had exited the vehicle, the dispatcher did not tell him to return to his car. He simply informed Zimmerman that the police did not need him to follow Trayvon. If no order was ever given to stay in the car, surely Zimmerman could not have violated an order that did not exist. Still, Zimmerman getting out of his car on his own initiative must be an indication of malice, right? It could only have been an act of bad faith to close with and attack Trayvon, correct? Well, no, because here's the actual undoctored audio. Now you go in straight through the entrance, and then you make a left. Uh, yeah. You go straight in. Don't turn and make a left. He's running. Which way is he running? Down towards the uh, other entrance of the neighborhood. Okay. Which entrance is that that he's heading towards? The back entrance. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Without the doctoring, it's clear that Zimmerman got out of the car not from malice, but because being unable to see through the building behind which Trayvon had run, Zimmerman needed to exit his car and look around the side of the building in order to fully answer the dispatcher's question, which way is he running? Indeed, this is precisely the explanation Zimmerman would provide afterwards for why he exited the car, and it's entirely consistent with a good-faith effort to assist the police rather than a bad-faith effort to pursue and chase down Trayvon. Now, getting out of the car was indeed a tactical error. Zimmerman put himself in an ambush position and got himself ambushed. It was not, however, a legal error. And speaking of the narrative of Zimmerman engaging in, quote, bad faith effort to pursue and chase down Trayvon, close quote, that gets us to the third common lie. The third lie commonly derived from doctoring this audio tape is that when Zimmerman was informed by the dispatcher, okay, we don't need you to do that, 
that Zimmerman refused to comply with the suggestion. The doctored version of the portion of the audio is typically presented like this, and this is how it was presented on episode one of Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. So, Zimmerman obviously refused to comply with the suggestion, if not the order, of the dispatcher, right? Surely that's a sign of bad faith and malice? Well, no, because here's the actual undoctored audio. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Okay. All right, sir, what is your name? Well, how about that? Zimmerman, once informed that the dispatcher didn't need him to follow Trayvon, was immediately compliant with that suggestion. Not much bad faith in that, now is there, once the full context is known. In closing, I'd point out that when someone attempts in an organized and systematic fashion to convince you that unreality, lies, is reality, truth, that's simply a form of brainwashing no different than when the communists put their political prisoners into re-education camps. People acting out of goodwill don't deliberately generate propaganda to brainwash others. Enemies do. Finally, before I go, I'd like to let everyone know that I am in the process of doing a very detailed review, critique, debunking of this quote-unquote documentary, Rest in Power. If you're interested in contributing to that effort and gaining access to that detailed critique, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Trayvon. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you go. Uh, that's uh, some good stuff from Andrew Branca at Law of Self Defense on the George Zimmerman case and some of the lies and myths that were perpetuated and still are being perpetuated about that case. I was commenting uh, here on Facebook uh, with some of those that are uh, participating live that, uh, you know, this is good stuff. And uh, Zimmerman for sure is a polarizing figure and it's a polarizing case uh, for a lot of different reasons. But it's really important that we stick to the facts. And there are so many falsehoods that have been perpetuated since that case, you know, came to light. Uh, doctored audio, like it's it's pretty fascinating how uh, Andrew just presented all of that and showed this is what. And and you know what? I'll be honest, it, the doctored audio tidbits that he played is exactly all the same audio that I've that I've pretty much heard from all audio, from all media sources, mm-hmm. right? And then he plays the unedited unclipped audio for and you're like oh wow it totally sounds different than everything that we've been led to believe that's kind of i mean i think that is uh like 
the equivalent of malpractice. Well, well, you said it right there. Everything we've been led to believe, right? So, so the media isn't shouldn't necessarily lead people to believe certain things, right? They should present, get to the truth, get to the facts, and present it, and let the let the people believe what they want, not lead them down a road to believe one thing or the other. And that's exactly what's been happening with a lot of these types of things, where um, doctor either it's either intentionally doctored or it's. You know, they'll say, oh, we cut it down for brevity, brevity um, sake. But, you know, when you when you cut it down for brevity sake and you eliminate key, critical, important information that contextualizes what the statement is, is um, then, you know, it's you're doing your listeners or, or you know, the, the people who look to you for uh, for news and injustice. And, and I think, you know. We, we really need to hold um, ourselves up to a higher standard and say, you know, take everything with a grain of salt that you hear. I don't care what news media organization, where you read it. Um, take everything with a grain of salt and do your own investigation. Look at two or different, three different, you know, uh, reports on the same incident and see. And you'll see that they're, that they're definitely reporters take an, a, an angle on certain things and, and they try to lead you to believe what they believe or, um, and, and maybe sometimes it's just out of ignorance. They really truly don't know. And they just want to get the first story out there. But I think oftentimes we've seen that it isn't out of ignorance. It's out of, uh, a desire to, to push a certain agenda or push a certain storyline. And, and that's the, that's the troubling thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is interesting. We have a Facebook comment from a Donald. He says, I met Zimmerman. He chased my wife and I down Inverness, Florida, about got hurt. He was at a local gun store, Florida Gun Supply. Um, okay, that's, that's that's fascinating, Donald. <laughs> shoot, shoot us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. I, I wouldn't mind uh, chatting with you more about that. Now, here's the thing. Zimmerman's done some things since this this whole incident that i mean definitely does not bode well i think for his image or for how many of us think of him right. but as far as that case uh it it there's a reason why the case went the way it did there's a reason why he was not convicted uh and it's because there was not evidence that he intentionally uh went after and killed and you know meant to kill uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, if anything, there was a lot of doubt as to whether he intended or or sought to do that, um, and and that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, re- agree with the, the way that case sorted out or not doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just, the fact is that we're in a, we live in a country and in a society and a and a government w- with uh, you know constitutional rights and everything else as far as how our court system works that says you cannot, you know, you are not convicted uh, unless there is proof beyond a reasonable doubt that you did what they are trying to convict you of. And uh, that did not exist in this case. Now we have this other interesting case, and this is the perfect segue into this parking spot shooting. (laughs) And I know like, I think last week Jacob's, he, he says every time he hears that phrase used referring to that shooting in Florida about, you know, being over the parking spot. He wants to, you know, throw, blow a gasket, but uh, you know, 
that's, that's what we call it, right? You know, because as soon as I say that, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and so the, the news, the update on that case is that the shooter, um, uh, Draca is his name, he has now been charged with manslaughter in that case. He's been arrested and charged. Uh, he, was, he had bond set at $100,000. Uh, he could still, based on the law in Florida, see life in prison for this type of charge if he is convicted. Um, I, you know, I don't want to necessarily rehash everything else we've rehashed about this case, but you know, this is, I don't know. We have to let the system run its course. We got to see how this sorts out. And much like the Zimmerman case, which was also a controversial high profile case, this one will probably be the same way. And we'll, you know, we will wait to see what kind of evidence is is produced. You know, witness statements, further analysis of video. Maybe there's other video exists that we don't know about. Um, you know, and and physical evidence as well from the scene itself. Uh, we'll have to see, wait and see. You know, until that's all presented, uh, and that a jury rules. You know, and whether there is proof beyond reasonable doubt that Draca committed manslaughter by shooting and killing McLaughlin. We'll just have to see. You know, is it a controversial situation in the case? Yeah, absolutely it is, for very obvious reasons. We, we, we've we debated it. We've hashed it out as far as should he have drawn the gun? Shouldn't he have he drawn, drawn the gun? Once he drew the gun, should he fire the shot or not? And I think most of us probably are on the side of mm, probably shouldn't have fired that shot. But the fact is he did. And now he's been charged. And now we let the system work and let it run its course. And we'll see what comes out the other end. Mm-hmm. And hope we don't. Hopefully, we don't start convicting people just because they're, you know, we don't like them personally or something like. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan of Zimmerman. I'm not a huge fan of what this uh, Drake guy has done in the past. And you know, there's multiple stories that have come out about like different incidents he's been involved in, what brandishing his gun and stuff. So I'm not a big proponent of what he's done or or, or his personality. But you, you got to separate that out, right? And you just got to look at the facts of the case. And we can't convict people because, you know, we think they're an idiot or we wouldn't have done that. Um, you know, we have to look at all the, all the facts and let it, let it come out. Cause I'm sure none of us know all the facts right now. Yeah. You know? Yep. So. Hey, one other thing before I forget, I did want to mention that I messed up last week, guys. We, we did, Jacob and I did the episode, episode 246 on Thursday, I think, or Friday of last week. And I have not gotten that episode posted yet. It will go live today. Um, I, I don't know what happened there or how that slipped through the cracks. We recorded on Facebook, but I didn't get that actually published for the podcast feed. Uh, I'll probably publish that one the same time I publish this episode. So you're going to get two episodes, bam, bam, <laughs> back to back. Anyway, I just wanted to give you that, you guys that update. Uh, interesting uh, uh, comments here coming in, obviously, on Facebook. Keep it up, guys. I'm, I'm going to move on from this because I told you I already don't want to rehash this case. Just wanted to give you the update that he has, in fact, now been charged with manslaughter. Okay, so next up, we have some legislative updates. Uh, Politico reports that the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings is set to begin on September 4th. So Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, uh, will those his confirmation hearings will start September fourth and last they f- they think between three and four days. And this according to J- Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa. And this was just announced on Friday. So 
I will say, and I just saw something the other day about Brett Kavanaugh and how uh, Antonin Scalia was a hero of his, that he basically worships Scalia, I think, as it relates to constitutional law, um, especially in the area of of the Second Amendment. So this is a very exciting time for us gun rights proponents in that if we can get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed and put into the Supreme Court, that will be a very, I mean, just that'll be awesome. I mean, what a great person to add to the court as it relates to the protection and defense of the basic rights found in the second amendment. Awesome. So we'll, that'll be here in just a couple of weeks that gets started. We'll, we'll watch that closely. Okay. Matthew has nothing to add. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, I was laughing at what Cameron said. He, he's admiring my plant. So I was, Ooh. my mind kind of. <laughs> some, some greenery there in the corner. <laughs> oh, no anyway not that you have to I, it's just a typically you know I, I i pause and you know and you say your bit but anyway hey let's let's move along here cameron derailed me <laughs> so uh next up baltimore sun reports general assembly this is maryland general assembly considers banning 3d printed guns in maryland uh okay all right Good, good for you guys. I hope it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just don't. I mean, like, there's been a ton, and on both sides, right? Like, pro, like, you know, don't regulate us, and and this and that, like, on that side, and then like, oh my god, this is the end of the world. Like, people are making guns in their basement, and you know, it's Armageddon. And like, I think both are extreme on the end because honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, I know there's some legal implications that come from you know, the legislation part, but I'm just looking at the 3d printed gun itself. And like, I don't know many people that are even going to do this, right? Like either a have the technology to do it. B want to go out and buy the technology to make a gun that fires one shot and could blow up in your hand. Right. Or, or even like, you know, criminals that are like, okay, should I buy like this 3D printer and go through all this rigmarole to download these specs and make this gun? Or should I just go and buy like a hundred dollar high point, you know, or <laughs> buy it from this dude for like 50 bucks or go break into a house or a car and steal one? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I just don't see, it. I think it's more of a novelty thing. Like, like, look at what I made. Right. But it, there's, there's many much more dangerous things that you can make at your, in your home besides a 3d printed gun like yeah. I, personally i and so um but yeah the the it's almost like it's the end of the world that like this you know oh my god this technology exists and, and mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know yeah so th- this goes deeper than that by the way just than just 3d printed guns they this legislation would not only ban 3d printed guns but would also ban ghost guns or uh basically 80 percent lowers all right so uh, that would effectively make it illegal in Maryland to purchase, to buy, to possess, and have, you know, I've got a couple of, you know, 80% Glock lowers, you know, just just because I can have them. I don't know if I'll do anything with them. I mean, probably at some point, um, you, you know, that would be illegal. Um, so this is, the, this is the battle that we're in, right, is that, and, and this is further... Mainstream media just making it appear how, how evil and terrible and destructive these ghost guns and 3D printed guns are. 
uh, well, well above and beyond what the actual dangers are, um, or what reality actually says it'll be. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this is just another instance of gun control, um, for many, many, many years for basically ever, it has been okay for a civilian, a, a person like you or I to, we, we can manufacture a firearm. Okay. For our own purposes and use can't can't you know sell that thing can't transfer it can't really do anything with that but we can make it right this basically these types of laws takes away that right we're just we're told that we can't make something for our own personal use and enjoyment um i i disagree with that right? Nothing has changed other than technology has improved in the last few years. It's made some of these things a little more readily available. But in the case of 3D printers, gee, people aren't going to be just, I mean, it may be, okay, we'll see what the next 10 years brings. It could look look totally differently in 10 years. I, I, I'll grant you that. But as of right now, it's far-fetched to think that regular Joe... Americans are just going to be printing guns, making stuff that they're going to then take on the streets and commit crimes with. Um, not to say, like you said, there's many other probably easier methods of getting your hands on guns as a criminal than 3D printing them or even doing ghost gun builds. Now, I don't doubt that there are criminals, gangs probably more likely, that have you know gone through the effort of building ghost guns from, you know, polymer 80 lowers or, you know, AR-15 polymer lowers, right? That I'm sure has happened. Okay. That, that's truth. I'm sure of it. Uh, but we got to look at it from, you know, a, a common sense side of things too. Like what, honestly, like how, how likely is that to be an issue as compared to the traditional methods that criminals get a hold of guns? Um, what is the societal cost as far as restricting citizens' rights as it relates to being able to build or construct or manufacture their own their own guns? Um, basically, though, the the way the media spins this is that they want it to look like, and I know that for a lot of Americans, this is like, you know, if you tell them this, it makes their head want to explode. They want to paint the picture that if you, as a civilian, make a firearm just for your own personal use and enjoyment. That that is a, that is an evil, terrible, horrible thing. That all guns should be registered, should be known about, should be serialized, should be recorded somewhere, right? And if you do, if you go outside those bounds, then you are a terrible, dirty, filthy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just goes against what you know we as Americans stand for. Anyway. Yeah, I, I sent you the uh, uh, video not too long ago of a dude. I think it was like a German dude that was ma- made a like a uh, fully automatic crossbow out of like wood and like <laughs> yeah. rubber bands or something. Dude, I love that dude's like, YouTube channel. I can't remember what right? it's called, but it's awesome. Yeah, so his, like, his laugh is the best as he fires that thing. <laughs> and he turns and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So like <laughs> that and that thing's probably easier to make than going out and buying you know the, the necessary materials to buy one of these or build a, a you know a 3d printed gun and stuff and it's totally. probably much more dangerous i'm uh to, <laughs> to the end user i, I bet you these people are going to make these uh 3d printing guns and they're going to be blown up in people's hands and just like fireworks and taking off fingers and stuff and then <laughs> you know because i mean i i don't want to beat a dead horse but yep. 
Moving on, let's go to, here's a story and an update uh, from the state of Washington. Okay. In a July 23rd op-ed, Joe McDermott, the council chair of King County, Washington, introduced a multi-pronged King King County gun safety action plan aimed at reducing gun violence. This plan requires that warning signs be posted at gun shops as well as any place a firearm is sold or discharged to advise about, quote, the very real and significant risk to health and life inherent with firearm ownership, end quote. I kid you not about this. The language of these signs is to be approved by the local board of health. Second, gun owners will be required to securely store firearms and ammunition at all times and in all places. And citing recent school tragedies, the third proposal instructs the county to collaborate with local youth to identify youth-informed solutions for reducing gun crime. According to one source, a failure to post the warning signage could would expose violators to civil penalties of up to $100 per day, a violation of the storage mandate, which is more likely to be something that would affect everyday you know, people uh, in King County, Washington, would be a criminal misdemeanor punishable by jail time of up to 90 days and a fine of up to $1,000. Hmm. Yeah. Additional proposals put forward include an ordinance to compel the King County Sheriff's Office to destroy forfeited weapons in working condition and those that have been turned in by gun owners and to demand that Washington state lawmakers repeal the current firearm preemption law. Yeah, because they probably have to do that to be able to actually push forward these proposals. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, there you go. Whammo, bam. This is uh, this is the world we are in. Uh, this is this is amazing to me. So let's force any place a firearm is sold to post a sign advising you. This is like tobacco warnings, right? That <laughs> if if you, it is inherent with firearm ownership that your life is endangered <laughs> if you purchase or possess a firearm. See, wow. and this is why this is why I can't take seriously when people say, "Well, it's common sense gun reform." Like, d- don't you guys want this? And it's like, okay, n- this isn't common sense. Like, there's nothing common sense. Like, I, I far more people. Why don't Why don't we put signs up at psychiatrist's offices and say, "Hey, if you're prescribed antipsychotic or anti-depression uh, medicine or psycho, you know, for um, depression and things like that, right? That you are." you know, at a high risk of developing uh, dependency to it or um, your risk of suicide once you take, you, you start taper, tapering off or if you don't take it is, is much higher. Why don't, I mean, like, where do you stop like putting up signs and realize that first of all, signs don't do anything. And second of all, you know, the, the signage, what the goal behind the sign is to stigmatize. That's all it is. And that's why they don't put it at, a, you know, a mental health facility or something because it would stigmatize the people that are going there for treatment. Right. So we want to, they want to stigmatize gun ownership, just like you said, like anybody who, you know, makes their own gun or, or whatever is stigmatized as a real bad person. They, they want to put signs like this to stigmatize people, to make that, make it seem like if you just simply own a gun, you, you are, like you're irrational, you know, you, you are taking your life in your own hands and it's very risky. Um, but I mean, I don't know, man, people drive on, mo- ride their motorcycles here and there's no helmet law. And I think that's nuts, but 
if they want to do it, they can do it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to put up a sign outside a Harley dealership and say, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you buy a motorcycle, you're like a hundred times more likely to get involved in a car accident, you know, and die. Which is probably <laughs> true. I don't know the stats, but you know what I'm saying? Like, wh- why don't we do that? Why don't we stigmatize? You know, it's just, I, I don't, I don't like stuff like this. I'm sorry. It's just like. This comment from Scott's hilarious. Signs at bars. Drinking may cause your body to contain alcohol. <laughs> right? <laughs> but the, well, right. The, the only difference here, Scott, is that uh, if you drink alcohol, you're guaranteed that your body will contain alcohol. But if you purchase or have a firearm, you're not necessarily guaranteed that you'll end up with lead poisoning. <laughs> so, um, no, this is just amazing to me. Uh, you're exactly right as far as stigmatizing gun ownership and gun owners, just making this, this area of society continue to look more and more like on the fringe. Uh, Mm -hmm. we want to normalize what they're, what they're going for is normalizing, uh, the absence of firearms, that we don't need these, that they are dangerous to our health, that they're dangerous to our families and societies. And this, by the way, is going to come up in another story here uh, pretty quick uh, about uh, the Brady campaign and, and a campaign they've got going on. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is just insane to me. Now, the, the second part is also is probably more concerning. You know what? At the end of the day, if we had to post these signs at gun dealers, it's like, okay, like whatever. People just ignore it. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the bigger concern is this requirement. And this has been tried a number of places and it does exist. Like city, city of New York, uh, you have, there is a mandatory firearm storage uh, 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 ordinance. That's a bigger concern. Forcing mm-hmm. gun owners under threat of penalty and punishment to safely store firearms. Now, I am absolutely the biggest advocate for being responsible about firearm storage. Uh, I th- I think that we need to police our own and that we as a community can be concerned about f- responsible firearm storage and we should do that ourselves. Like we should take that upon ourselves as responsible gun owners and we should do that. But because if we don't, this is exactly where it's going to go in that the government, they will want to force us to do so. Which would you rather have? Self-volunteer to be responsible and store firearms safely or be forced by government under threat of jail time and and or financial penalty uh, to, to do that? I, I know what I would choose. And we're definitely you know big here on the podcast about responsible firearm uh, carrying and storage. It's just... That is something that we we definitely, as firearm owners, could do a better job of. Now, the problem is most of the people listening to this podcast are not the people that end up in our what not to do segment. Now, we, we're skipping that today, by the way, We we're just because of time. We've got a ton of stories we still got to cover. There was a story about a two-year-old in Detroit um, that uh, got a hold of his dad's gun or whatever and shot himself. And he's going to be okay. But too often, uh, the result is, is death. Um, I, I hate hearing – I mean, that sort of stuff happens probably almost daily somewhere in America where a child gets a hold of a gun and uh, shoots themselves or shoots another child or shoots an adult or, or or just shoots it. And, you know, no one gets hurt, but that's still a really, really bad scenario for a child, uh, you know, particularly a young child to get a hold of a firearm. We we can do better. And, you know, mo- most of those people in those kind of situations in those households are probably not listening to stuff like this. They're not thinking about responsible gun ownership. But if we can be 
good stewards and good examples to the rest of our community, then hopefully eventually that can filter out and, you know, to all the gun owners. It'll never be a, you know, but the truth is, even if there's a law passed that requires storage in a safe or whatever uh, by the government, there still is not going to be 100% compliance. And that's what's also interesting about laws like this is that, well, this will fix all the problems, right? But that's never actually the case. And it likely results in gun owners being more liable uh, than, than, than they ought to be, you know, law-abiding gun owners. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right. Next story, we've got here, Divided Appeals Panel upholds California ban on post-2013 pistols. So back in 2013, actually it might have been in 2012, maybe when it back in 2013, I can't remember exactly, but around that time. Um Basically, a couple of things went in, into effect in California. Um, one of those issues was that um, a micro stamping requirement was passed that applies to newly introduced semi automatic pistols. Okay. Nobody does micro stamping in the industry because it is not practical. Stupid. It's too expensive, and it if they were to do it, it you know simply for compliance, they'd be doing it to comply with one state's mandate, California. That's ridiculous and far-fetched and unreasonable to force firearms manufacturers at the whim of your state. And I know California has a big head, not as big as Texas, but they think they're you know I mean they are a big state and they have a large population. Uh, but to think that they can force manufacturers to comply with this micro stamping requirement is pretty unreasonable, I think. Um, plus, it, it's not even proven to make any sort of difference. That you know, as far as in, in, you know, it's not going to do anything to reduce crime. Yeah, it couldn't. I mean, they couldn't prove that it make any di- sort of difference right? because it's it's stupid. The whole concept of it is stupid, and and so. You know, if you're not familiar with the micro stamping, it's basically um, a gun would imprint on the shell casing, um, like the, the serial number of the gun, the make, the model, and then somehow, if it was used in a crime, then you, you know, you you, you would be able to track that gun back to the owner. Well, uh, there's a bunch of problems with it outside of the fact that guns would have to be registered in order for this thing to actually work, right? Because Unless you register the gun, you just have the serial number and the make and the model of the gun, and great. Like in, unless you can match it up to a database that says yeah. Joe Schmo has this gun, it's it's pointless. Um, plus, there's so many easy ways to get around that. You could you could I'm, I'm sure you could disable or damage that or score it or or you know scrape it up so it wouldn't you know imprint the right information or be you know uh, obscured or something like that. Um, it, it's just it's so stupid that no gun manufacturer is going to do it. And it's, it's, it's so expensive that no gun manufacturer is going to do it unless the market, you know, is, is demanding it and they're not. Um, so I just, it's, it's one of those things. And the problem yep. is, and, and I, I like how they, they presented this. The problem is, is that they banned uh, pistols that won't, won't, um, 
satisfy these three criteria. So the micro stamping, the magazine disconnect, which Dang. if you have yeah. the magazine out of the, out of the firearm, um, you can't, you can't shoot around off it. If, if like, let's say you have a round in the chamber, you forget, you remove the magazine, squeeze the trigger, it, it will disconnect that trigger and it won't, um, it won't allow that round to fire. Um, and the other one, what was that? Uh, the, um, was it an external the, uh, loaded chamber indicator? Load, loaded chamber that, indicator. That's not a big deal because a lot of the manufacturers comply with that by having just a little window that you could. Although I don't right. actually, I'm not sure if that does comply. They might have to actually have a physical one. I don't remember, but yeah. But you um, have to have all three magazine uh, dis magazine disconnect, disconnect safety. That's mm-hmm. uh, that rules out a number of guns. Now, granted, um, well, it rules out a number of guns as far as takedown procedure, right? Guns that have to be like the trigger has to be pulled or something, um, that can you know be an issue. Um, Glock would be you know included in that list. Um, you know, there's just all these problems with these lame rules. Basically, that's what they are. They're lame, right? Because this is what they call it, right? It's the Unsafe Handgun Act. And if you don't have a loaded chamber indicator and you don't have a magazine disconnect safety, and apparently if you don't have micro stamping then it's an unsafe gun. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you, out of all those things, it could be argued most easily that the magazine disconnect safety is the most likely factor to be connected. Like it's the most likely piece of those to be connected to safety. But I'm not even sure how realistic that is. I know some people that are big on like, well, I like a, I like a good magazine disconnect safety because, you know, it increases safety what i i don't get it but whatever but uh loaded chamber indicator you gotta know apparently when when there's around the chamber like other than rather than assume <laughs> or treat the gun as though it's always loaded right you know <sighs> and that's the thing there, obviously the people passing this this you know knowledge on to others or or, or with this this um, mentality have never owned guns because you know, if you own a firearm, you, you know that the firearm is neither safe nor unsafe on its own. Right. I mean, you could have a 1911 with two safe, two external safeties and you could do just as much damage to yourself, to somebody else, if you don't know what you're doing and you can have a Glock or another gun without a manual external safety or disconnect or anything and never have a negligent discharge at all. It, it's yeah. the owner. And so these, these laws that like focus on the gun and say, well, we need to make safer guns. They don't understand that. No, it's not the gun that's safe. It's the, the person using the gun. And so, yeah, you can say somebody would be safer with the magazine disconnect. I could, I could understand the argument, but like it's null and void. If you just say, look, dude, check and make sure you know the condition of your firearm. If you're going to take out the magazine and you don't know that there's possibly a round in the chamber, then then you need to educate yourself. No no amount of like little contraptions on the gun is going to make you, you know, make that gun 100% safe in the hands of, of somebody who doesn't know how to handle it. It's just, it, I just don't understand. Um, so I don't know. Um, and Rob makes a, makes a good point. Like these, these things are mechanical devices, right? So like your loaded chamber indicator, your magazine disconnect, what, what if those things fail? You know, you're, if you're basing all your safety on these mechanical devices that are built into the gun to make a safe gun, then you're setting yourself up for failure. And so, um, yeah, that's why these types of things are just pointless Yep, in my opinion, but Absolutely. Well, 
no need to keep hashing that. We just know that this case, this went to the um, appeals court. Uh, and the case was Pena versus Lindley, and basically they they were suing to um, have these ruled unconstitutional, essentially. Okay, have these laws overturned uh, because it's impeding Californians' ability to be able to have choice of the industry's top, most modern, up-to-date, and safe firearms options, right? Correct. Yeah. So anyway, um, we'll see if that continues to go anywhere, if, if it's further appealed or whatnot. All right. So California also, <laughs> we talked about this last week. Uh, this is a, an update that we, we mentioned last week that California's um, uh, Senate and, and House are resuming legislative work. Uh, that, that started about a week or so ago. And on the table was a number of bills being considered. A couple of pro-gun, like one of, uh, let me give you the pro, like pro-gun <laughs> or pro-hunting ones, okay? Assembly Bill 986 would reduce hunting license fees for veterans. Uh, Senate Bill 1311 would create an annual combined hunting and fishing license. Those are gimmies. Those are easy. Those are like, okay, wow. I mean, like, I think those are great things to do. Um, yeah, reduce hunting license fees for veterans. Cool. All right. The funny thing is that's already been suspended or tabled till later, as has the, uh, as, as, yeah, as also has the uh, annual combined hunting and fishing license. That's been tabled till later. Like, like those should have been easy. Just like push those through. Um, but everything else is in some form kind of an anti-gun or gun control like bill. Um, Senate bill 221 is the only one that has passed out of committee thus far. So this could go to the full Senate for a vote, debate and and vote at some point here. And that would prohibit the sale of firearms and ammunition at the cow palace. I believe that's a specific location where, Gun shows have been done, and they're just trying to get that eliminated so gun shows can no longer be done at that at that location. All right? That's passed out of committee. Everything else has been tabled till a later date. Uh, does, that doesn't mean that it's dead and over with. It means that these could still be an issue down the road here soon. Uh, Assembly Bill 3 uh, would raise the age to purchase firearms and ammunition for everything to 21 years of age. Uh, Assembly Bill 2103 would add certain requirements in addition to the already mandated training courses for a citizen to obtain a concealed carry license. Currently, concealed carry permit holders are already required to receive up to 16 hours of training prior to receiving a permit and at least four hours of additional training every two years prior to renewal. So they want to make that even more strict. And that's one of the best standards in the nation, if you want to think of it in that way, as far as like, that's a lot, that's, that's, that's a lot more training than almost anywhere else. There's like California and New Mexico, Illinois, Maryland, I think. I think there's a couple of states that have pretty high standards for training to obtain a concealed handgun permit. Um, so they want to make it even more awesome, if you want to think of it that way. Actually, they just want to make it more difficult, more expensive uh, for people to get permits. That's That's not cool. And we're not... Very, I'm not a big. I mean, I love training, and I definitely am a strongest advocate for people to get handgun training, uh, even before getting a permit. 
And thereafter, of course, don't ever even think that you're done because you've got a concealed carry permit that you're good to go, that you'd never need to take another class again. That is the like worst thing ever to think that you are done, that you have somehow done everything you needed to, to carry a gun concealed and that you're ready to use it. Um, however, I don't believe in a government mandated minimum training level because they're arbitrary, they're stupid, they don't make sense. And it violates, I think the second amendment anyway. <clears throat> but go get trained, right? <laughs> and we have coming up here in the Denver area, October, it's actually split over two weekends. October 13th, I think, is the one class, and the other one is two weeks later. Uh, we're going to run the uh, Guardian Essentials standards and breakthrough courses uh, again in the Denver area here. Anyway, um, let's see. What was the next thing? Assembly Bill 2382 would require firearm parts to be sold, transferred through a licensed precursor parts dealer. So any basically any parts <laughs> for guns, you got to buy from a dealer. Uh, Assembly Bill 2888 would expand the list of those eligible to file gun violence restraining orders, GBROs. This, this was a scary one for me. Yeah. Beyond the already authorized reporters, which include immediate family and law enforcement, the new list is expanded to employers, co-workers and employees of a secondary or post-secondary school that the person has attended in the last six months. <laughs> GVROs can remove a person's right without due process and not because of a criminal conviction or mental adjudication, but based on third party allegations. And that remember, is why that is it, scary. Yeah. And we, everybody was like, no, this is not good. This is not good. And remember everybody said, well, it's going to be really scrutinized under real, you know, small, it's going to be limited to certain people. And the standard is going to be so high. And, and, you know, that way it won't be, if, you know, these things won't be abused by just anybody making a claim, you know, and now, now that they have a foothold, it's like, okay, let's slip these people and let's slip these people. And now, you know, next time it's your neighbor, you're the guy, you know, across the street that, you know, that doesn't like you because, you know, uh, for whatever reason, it, it's just, it's, just, I don't want to say the slippery slope, but it's, it's obviously that. So the, the big concern with these, and we've hashed this out before is the lack of due process. And by expanding this list. So in a lot of states where they have GVROs or ERP, was it ERPOs, extreme risk protection orders in place. Um, that's usually limited to law enforcement and like immediate family members. Um, sometimes mental health professionals, stuff like that. Like people that kind of have, you know, a good reason to, to, to be able to put those into place, even though the, and I still think those are uh, controversial, especially where there's not due process. But now you expand that list to, a whole bunch of other people for whatever reason, you know, arbitrarily can say, Hey, um, I'm filing this, re this restraining order because, you know, and they can make up whatever they want. And, and the scary thing is that's why due process is so important because yeah, they might eventually be found out that what they said was a bunch of bull, but in the meanwhile, you are, you have your guns confiscated or surrendered because that, that, that protection order was filed. Right, mm -hmm. no due process because somebody decided they didn't like you that day. Bam, slaps you with a GVP GVRO as as they are called in California, and whammo, your Second Amendment rights gone. Right, and then you spend then it's on you to spend weeks or months or maybe even longer to get all that crap back. 
Now you got states, by the way, like Washington. Can you imagine this? Washington, one of their things that they would like to see in King County, Washington, is, and we talked about it, is that guns that are confiscated must be destroyed. Now, I'm sure there's a certain time frame, right? You know, like, but but can you imagine that, I can imagine that guns end up getting destroyed that were surrendered under some sort of extremist protection order with lack of due process, and you're fighting to get everything back. And then one day, because it takes you however many days or months or weeks or whatever to get that back, and they go, oh, sorry, um, we exceeded this time frame, and oh, those went to the to the smelter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I, this, you know, if we can figure – I've said this before. I still don't necessarily believe in the concept of protection orders, but if we were to compromise somewhere, I say if we were to compromise somewhere, if we could figure out something that secured, you know, that still protected rights of due process, right, and somehow tie that with some sort of, you know, protection order program, um, okay, we could, you know, we could maybe have that conversation, right? That, that's really the big concern is that lack of due process. And almost every proposal I've seen, get, it, it, it eliminates that due process element. And that's a problem. That's the concern. Um, okay. And then Senate Bill 1 or 1100 would raise the minimum age to purchase a long gun from 18 to 21. That's very similar to the, the other House proposal that would just raise the limit for everything, firearms and ammunition to 21. So that's kind of redundant. That's not uncommon to see a Senate proposal and a House proposal. The House one, uh, the House one appears to be a little bit more strict anyway. Senate Bill 1177 would prohibit a person from making more than one application to purchase and the dealer delivery of any type of firearm within any 30-day period. So you can buy, well, I don't know if it says one firearm. Let's see, dealer, making more than one application. Depending on how that's interpreted and worded, that might mean either one gun per 30-day period or one application as in like if you were to buy five at a time in one purchase, you know. But I would think based on other laws I've seen in other jurisdictions that it probably is you can buy one gun per 30 days. Right. Right. And Senate Bill uh, 1487 would prohibit the possession of certain African species of wildlife. Okay. There you go. That's – I know we just spent a lot of time talking about just California – but that's a lot of stuff potentially going down in California. And as we said at the beginning of the podcast, whatever is happening in California or Washington or it doesn't matter, whatever state, Colorado was talking about all kinds of crazy laws earlier this year as well. That it could be coming to a state near you soon. Even if you think you live in a somewhat con- in a conservative state. Okay. Anyway, that just gives us it, – it's just – it's the warning signal for – crap coming down the pike <sighs> all right yeah and then tristan Trist, tristan comments won't be able to buy from multiple sources in one month I, I i'm not sure on that i don't know either way it doesn't sound cool at all donald says make your own ammunition it's cheaper in the long run this is true although there have been and i there there have been proposals trust me uh in a lot of different jurisdictions where they want to control the components just as closely as they control the ammunition. And uh, that, that, so don't rule that out just because you think you could make your own ammunition. Uh, trust me, those gun controllers out there are well aware of 
manuf- you know, of self-manufactured ammo, of hand-loaded ammo. Yeah, and they will try to tie like into the primer or something like that to like super regulate the primer. And, you know, you can't or, or, can't or regulate all the components, bullets, yeah. powder, casings, primers, whatever. Like they will try that. Guarantee it. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's all the legislative updates. Uh, that's quite a bit for late in the year like this. Um, yeah, usually we get a lot of legislative updates in the first few months of the year, but uh, a lot going on apparently in August. Fox News reports, horrifying details released in an investigation of extremist Muslim compound that allegedly conducted school shooting training. So it's been reported in the last week or so that there was this compound in New Mexico, and this all came to be, you know, as far as discovering it, because there was a young boy with his dad and they they drove from like Georgia or someplace and they got stopped somewhere along the way and then somebody picked them up and they ended up in, basically the little boy went missing and his mom was like you know trying to find him calling police all this stuff right and somehow discovered that these people may have been in in New Mexico in northern New Mexico kind of near Taos if anybody's been through that that region and so anyway, police got a search warrant. They went out there. They found this compound with a bunch of adults and a bunch of kids, um, apparently Muslim-inspired, like whatever. That doesn't really matter. I don't care because um, it could have been non-Muslim-inspired too. Now, are there some ties with you know some terrorist groups, ISIS, whatever? Who knows? We'll see if that shakes out. But the point is, is they had this compound, and apparently they were training these kids to conduct school shootings. Um, when police showed up on the scene, uh, one of the main guys at the center of this whole con- uh, controversial issue, he, they, when they showed up on scene, he had a uh, like an AK or, or an AR or something strapped to his chest. Uh, things could have gotten out of hand, actually, when police uh, showed up on, on the, that property there pretty quickly. Fortunately, it all went smoothly, um, and they executed the search warrant. They got the kids out of there. They arrested everybody that needed to arrest and confiscated all these, apparently, dozens and dozens of, of weapons uh, and the thousands of rounds of ammunition. But that's this is pretty extreme as far as you got kids and you are specifically training them to go and shoot up schools or something. Well, well, yeah. I mean, think, think of this. Um, and, and like you said, I don't care if it's Muslim or, or non-Muslim. I, it's not a big deal, there, but there's a couple issues that I had with the way this has been reported that it left out any extreme element out of this. So it, it's, it's presented in a way that makes it sound like it's some right wing extremist, like Ruby Ridge type group that's out there training people to, to or kids to go commit, uh, you know, school shootings. While, you know, the, the, the guy who was in charge out there is the son of a co uh, of an unindicted co-conspirator that was in the original world trade center bombing. So there is definitely a terrorism like link back. That's true. And so, and when you look at terrorists, what do they, what do they do? Well, they look and they say, how can we inflict the most fear and damage? Right. So they see, well, what, what in America uh, has been on the focal point you know, for the last few years, school shootings, right? It, it inflicts the most fear, no matter if you kill one child or 50, it's, it's a terrible event, right? So they say, well, let's not shoot up Charlie Hebdo. Let's not shoot up like, you know, a, 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 paper, a newspaper because yeah, that's tragic and everything, but it'll be, it'll be lost after a few weeks. 
let's shoot, let's start training to shoot up schools because we can get the most, you know, fear out of the population. And, you know, that way they'll start trying to disarm more and more Americans. So I think, I think this is, it's really kind of flown under the radar as far as like importance as kind of like this way outlier, you know, thing that is so out there. But I think this is just um, an example or, or, or a, 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 you know, kind of like what this has been, this is kind of been building in, in a lot of extremists, terrorist extremist minds and kind of has manifested out with this guy actually doing it out in the middle of, you know, the, the desert out there. So it kind of scares me as far as um, the, the, the tactics switching to, you know, let, let's try to switch to school shootings, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I hate to say this, you know, um, but I, th- I think that it's only a matter of time before we see a terrorist attack on our soil that specifically targets a school or schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some similar things have already happened, but I mean like a bad one. Right. And this is this is one that could have gotten out of hand very soon, very quickly. I mean, it makes you wonder, were, were they gearing up to do something during this upcoming school year? Um, how closely, how narrowly was this avoided? It could have been, it could have been bad for sure. But you know what? If there's this group out there, there's probably another group or another individual or group of individuals somewhere else that is working on the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's why we've got to be all the more prepared, all the more ready, all the more aware, uh, and taking actions to make things, you know, to, to, to be ready, you know, to, to try to prevent this from happening, or at least if it does limit the damage. Um, I follow a, uh, an individual. I won't name I won't name names, uh, on social media that his daughter was at Parkland. Um, you know, when the shooting went down and, uh, he's a very, he, he's some, somebody that works in the firearms industry. Okay. And some people might listening to this probably know who he is perhaps, but, uh, uh, he, I just saw a post from him, today or yesterday talking about his frustration to see how literally nothing has happened since Parkland, you know, as he's, as they're approaching the start of their new school year, nothing has happened since February that has actually done anything to make his school, his daughter's school and other schools safer from a similar attack. And by and, and and if you understand him and and what what you know his mindset is like, you'd understand that to mean that nothing has been achieved as far as uh, you know allowing appropriate individuals to protect and defend kids in schools better. Um, you know the things that Florida to do. I mean, they did pass the law that allows educators to carry concealed on campus but they got to go through like 150 something hours of training and all that stuff, which is probably a pretty big burden um, and effectively limits those teachers. To, I mean, to a very small number that can probably actually achieve that and probably were unable to do so prior to this school year. Um, there's just so many other things that could be done to protect our kids and protect our schools. And, and we're not talking about those because people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the 
the common sense proposals that many of us would would propose uh, because it's too extreme uh, for them. But anyway, we're going to move on here. Um, although Rob says here, <clears throat> I predict I predict a terrorist attack in a non-gun zone, be it a school, shopping mall, or other place where they can do their crime without worrying about people fighting back. Yeah, some it's inevitable. It will happen. Uh, it always it, it does. I hate to say that it will. Um, yeah, and he also follows that up. Rob does with he says putting more SROs in schools. All that'll mean is that they'll figure out a way to still terrorize people. SRO is the first victim, or you go someplace without SRO. Sad how straightforward it is to figure out how to terrorize a population. Here's the other problem: Parkland is such a huge school. Even if you have one or two SROs. Um, and most places are not going to spend the resources, the money to have more than one or maybe two SROs on a campus, on a large campus even. It, it honestly doesn't matter if you have SROs on that campus. I don't know. I would, I don't. I know that we often t- say that it'll be the cop or the SRO that'll be the first target. That may be true. But honestly, in a lot of cases, a campus is big enough that they they can, you know, they can initiate that attack and it's going to be a while before that SRO or that cop can find them, right? And uh, so, I mean, we just need more good people in a lot of places that can be there. You can't put enough SROs in a school without you know getting a little bit crazy and unreasonable in terms of the resources that that'll take up and the money that it'll cost. Uh, you just can't you can't do enough, right? Mm-hmm. To where it'll make a difference, especially on those larger campuses. Well, anyway, all right. Let's see here. Next story. It's loading. Here we go. Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. NWAonline.com reports this. And I'll let you take the lead on this, Matthew. Firearms groups, shops, join push to stop suicides. And I don't want to take too much time on this, but I do want to have just a brief conversation about this, this topic, this idea. Firearms groups... And shops, gun shops, joining mm-hmm. hands to to try to stop suicide. So, so what's what's the details on the story? Right. So, um, this foundation basically back back in 2016, the National Shooting Sports Foundation um, joined um, uh, this foundation to try to help educate people and and, and um, reduce the number of suicides by firearm. And they state some, some, you know, of the, the actual numbers and, and, um, findings that they, they talk about as far as, um, how really it's, if the people that commit suicide by firearm are like 80% uh, chance of successfully killing themselves, uh, with the fire with the firearm. Um, and that, you know, if they can get over that initial 20 minutes where they, from the time that they kind of decide that they're going to commit suicide to the actual time that they, they actually follow through with it. If they get through that 20 minute zone that you can, uh, that, that the, the actual rate that they can c- complete the, uh, the suicide goes down drastically. And, and I, I agree with that. I, I actually do to a certain point, um, agree with, you know, there, there is a time period where it, it kind of culminates and in, in the, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And after that, it definitely decreases if you can get them through that. Um, and so, but, but the idea is, you know, um, 
and I think that it would be interesting um, because for this, and it comes out in the Democratic Gazette. I don't know if you know what you know affiliation. It's more of a liberal paper or conservative, but it really doesn't matter. I think that most people would be surprised to know that you know National Shooting Sports Foundation, even for the last two years, has been you know, kind of on the forefront or, or, or working to prevent or, and, and reduce the number of um, firearm related suicides, which, uh, you know, whether or not we want to say that having a firearm in the house is safe or not, you know, we all agree with that. We, we think it, it's, it's safe to have a firearm in, in, the, in the house and to protect ourselves. But the argument is always, well, you know, suicides and, and accidental shootings. Well, accidental shootings are very, very rare, not, not taking any, you know, tragic tragedy from them or, or, you know, they are a very terrible thing, but they're very, very rare. Um, suicides are much, much more prevalent, right? So, and that's kind of like where a lot of guns in the home are bad people hang their hat is like, well, you're likely, you know, someone's just going to feel like they're, they're going to commit suicide. And if there's guns there, there you go. They're, they're, they have the access to it. So, um, you know, and, and I'm, I, I feel for these people, um, that, that feel like they, they have to kill themselves because they have no other way out. There's a lot of PTSD going on with, with veterans and things like that, that, um, that I know of personally. So, um, you know, uh, people that I care about a lot. So it's, it's a kind of a, you know, a touchy subject with a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The reality is when you look at total gun homicides, suicides accounts for at least a third and almost maybe half of, Mm -hmm. of all gun firearm related deaths. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's a problem no matter which way you look at it. Right. Um, suicide has affected, people that I know and family, uh, family members. Um, it's affected many of you probably listening to this program. It's, it's a reality. Uh, people will commit suicide through a variety of ways. Firearms is unfortunately a fairly common choice for that. Uh, it is very effective in most cases. That's, that's a sad reality of it right now. I think rather than addressing gun suicides through gun control legislation, I think anything that we can do as a community, as an industry, uh, as organizations, you know, in, whether it's the NSSF, NRA, whatever, I, anything we can do to try to reduce suicides, to improve mental health, that's a pro. That's a plus. That's a pro. We should we should do anything we can uh, within reason without having to talk about additional gun control legislation. Exactly. Anything we can do to educate, to help, to be um, you know to serve and to be compassionate to those that maybe are struggling with different things. Anything we could do. That's that's good. That is worthwhile. I support these types of efforts. All right. So this is cool. And by the way, I'm I'm looking at getting involved with an organization. And it's a little bit early to talk about it uh, at this point, but I'm looking at getting involved in something that is similar. All right, that is working to bring together the gun community and the mental health community together into one organization that hopefully can make a difference in this kind of stuff. I think that is 
is worth looking at. So it's something I'm looking at, and I'll keep you updated if, if there's any uh, update to provide on that. Next story from NBCNews.com. Gun control group targets firearms owners with new ads seeks common ground. I seriously doubt that they, they want common ground, but I don't know. We'll see. Okay, the Brady Center to Prevent Guns, Gun Violence, the group behind federal background checks for firearm purchasers, is launching a new ad campaign that is an effort to find common ground in a country divided on the issue of gun control. I see even in little statements like this, it's evident how biased sometimes the media can be. Uh, mm-hmm. A country divided on the issue of gun control. How about divided on the issue of citizens' rights for you know guns, right? Second Amendment. Um, anyway. The campaign launching Wednesday finds its way to television via public service announcements facilitated by the Ad Council. Isn't that backed by government dollars? I don't know. And aims to make the term family fire a household word as it describes accidental shootings of children and other family members in homes across the nation. Rather than mudslinging and name-calling, we are focusing on how we can act to keep our kids alive, said Kyle. Kylie Ann Hunter, a Brady Center vice president, and that might open the door to more discussion about how to end gun violence. This foot-in-the-door strategy is composed of at least a year's worth of end family fire TV, digital and online ads that center on a conversation between an elementary school-aged boy and his father. The boy asks if a firearm is in the house, but he soon reveals that he knows where it's kept and that he could use it to confront a bully. But it's our gun, the boy says, in our home. Happens all the time. The full-length spot concludes with the words, eight kids a day are accidentally killed or injured by family fire. Family fire is a shooting involving an improperly stored gun. Okay, so I just talked like 20 minutes ago about, I mean, we are big advocates for being responsible and properly storing guns, right? So I, I am down with that concept as a concept. What I'm not convinced about is that the Brady campaign's motive is like <laughs> what, what I know they would like to achieve would be to pass laws or legislation that would require storage. That I, 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 I'm confident in that because they've already made that point clear as one of their platforms right as far as though this idea of being responsible in that way st- properly storing firearms i'm i'm on board hey great awesome as long as we are policing our own if the brady campaign was genuine uh in wanting to work on some programs you know what if we wanted to have some sort of i don't know what would be the word um not a uh, like a grant program or something that that gave you a certain discount or coupon or or whatever you know to be able to buy a safe or a little handgun vault or something like cool all right let's do something I think that could be worthwhile but what I'm concerned is is doing something from a government side that re, you know talks about requiring gun owners to to do this because that that's the concern. Yeah, I totally agree. I, 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 and I, I can't help but notice, like, you know, I watched the, I watched the little ad, and, if, and I'm, I sure you dropped it, the link, uh, Riley, in the, in the notes. But like, 
the thing is, is the ad, it, it, it's all emotional and it plays on your emotions of like compassion. And, and most people, you know, think about the people, why you have a firearm. You know, you have a firearm because you want to protect yourself and, and your family and you're a compassionate person. You, you want to, you know, you want to protect your, them. And then they play on that. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an effective ad. I'll tell you that much. It's very effective at making people think that just merely having a gun in the home uh, places your child at an extreme risk, not just a risk and, and not just, um, it just merely having it not, you know, it, you can, you can, you, they make it seem like even if you have it secured, then it's not really safe, right? It's your home is unsafe. Just merely having it. You could have it in a safe, you could have it anywhere, but it's not safe enough. So you have to get rid of it completely. That's the only way to be safe. And, and I don't, I don't buy that premise because far, far, far more homes have guns and they're not, the kids aren't in aren't injured or or killed. Right. And, and I'm not downplaying a child's death. Trust me. Like I, it, it, I'm, it, makes me more angry than anything else. Um, you know, some people freak out over like a picture on the internet with somebody and they have their finger on the trigger. I, I could care less about that. I care about stuff like this, but, um, you know, think about how many kids die from poisoning, poisoning deaths. Right. And there's no legislation that mandates that you have a, a, a locked cabinet for your cleansers and your bleach and your ammonia and things like that, that, that could poison child, right? Yeah. They have little caps and stuff like that. Um, but they can be easily defeated. What about medication, you know, um, overdoses and things like that, you know, far more kids die from those types of injuries in, 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 in methods than a firearm. So, and I'm not saying don't address the firearm thing, but I think that, like you said, address it in a way that helps gun owners embark on a campaign that will help educate and hand out locks and hand out safes or give you a voucher for that, because that's actually what helps not saying building this irrational fear that just merely having a gun in the home makes everybody unsafe because it's not true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. There you go. Well, anyway, so interesting campaign. I find it also interesting that that they are they have coined this phrase "family fire," kind of like friendly fire. Um, you know, whatever. Like, once again, this these types of incidents happen far too often in this country every day, and uh, I just say let's all, as a community, as an industry, step up and be more responsible and advocate for more responsibility in this area. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next up, and by the way, I'm I think I'm about to get hit by a pretty severe thunderstorm. So if I drop out or something, or if you hear a bunch of like loud thunder or something, I think I just heard something a, a moment ago. Uh, just so you know, there's there's a reason for that. Um, yeah, I, I can hear it. it's raining pretty hard right now. <laughs> Good times. Political dispute went from Facebook to firearms when suspects showed up with a Glock AR-15. Please say. Um, and not, not saying that it was a Glock AR-15, that is a Glock comma. <laughs> so he showed up with two guns. Okay, so um, this involved two men, Brian Sebring and Alex Stevens. They were arguing on Facebook, and I don't know. I guess they knew each other or something. At least Sebring knew where Stevens lived. So after their political argument, Sebring grabbed a Glock pistol and an AR-15 rifle and went over to Stevens' uh, home and shot him in the thigh and buttocks. 
Um, interestingly enough, Sebring, the guy that did the shooting, is a registered Democrat. Uh, proof that Democrats own guns, people. I, I'm sorry, those of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we try to be an apolitical podcast as much as possible. Although we are obviously talking about political gun issues all the time, um, but many of you listening may identify as Republican, Democrat, Independent. We don't care. We are all about being pro-gun, and whatever side of the aisle you're on, that's fine. But I do find this kind of interesting and somewhat comical to a degree, because you just don't see this that often necessarily. Uh, both in terms of the way this story is playing out and also in the individual that's carrying it out. But uh, apparently Mr. Sebring uh, couldn't handle the stress of this online argument. And so he he could only think to handle it by arming himself and going over to this dude's house and shooting him. Interestingly enough, the guy that was shot is a former felon um, and says that he is no party affiliation that probably means that Stevens, the man that got shot, was not able to be armed as a felon, um, which you know just leads me to wonder about whether he would be able to defend himself from such an attack. And uh, I, I'm definitely kind of in that boat. Like I know that we 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 like to talk tough in this industry, and and there's many of you out there probably that believe big time and that felons should never own guns. At the same time, I know personally people that have made stupid mistakes, typically in their youth, and have ended up with a felony on their record, and they completely change their life around and become completely normal, decent, law-abiding, contributing members of society. And because they have this thing on their record from 10, 15, 20 years previous, still cannot possess a firearm. And I believe a good, decent person like that should have the means to defend themselves, including from attacks like this. And so, you know, it's just, I, I'm interjecting my own little personal thing here uh, on this, on this subject. It's just something I find interesting to consider in that you have a guy that probably doesn't have a gun and can't own a gun and can't defend himself getting into a political argument. And this guy comes over and decides to shoot him over something stupid and ridiculous. But there you go. That's the story. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, for sure. It is weird because normally there's not political arguments on Facebook. So that's what struck me as really weird. <laughs> You're right, Matthew. Yeah. You know what? Wow, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. Um, okay, so here it brings us to our Justified Save segment. Today we got a bunch of... Uh, great stories. The first one is a woman being choked by boyfriend is saved when son gets gun, daughter shoots, kills man. Uh, reported on WBTV, uh, the Channel 3, um, I think this is a CBS affiliate. Yes, it is. In Forest City, North Carolina is where this occurred. Basically, the situation is you had a woman, 44-year-old woman, recently moved to North Carolina from Indiana with her boyfriend and her three children, a son aged 12 and two daughters aged 15 and 16. Apparently this boyfriend, who had a criminal record and had been uh, charged in the past with various domestic charges, he was, um, actually a few days before this incident, he had grabbed a gun. I don't know if it was the same gun or not, but he had grabbed a gun. He's a felon. He's not supposed to have guns. But he had grabbed a gun and fired it within the house as a threat towards this girlfriend to the mother of these of these kids. Um, 
he was choking, assaulting, battering this woman, his girlfriend, again on this particular day when the 12-year-old son went and retrieved one of the firearms, apparently handing it to the 15-year-old sister of his, and she pulled the trigger two times and killed the boyfriend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, here, and I just want to, right off the bat, like at face value, obviously having a gun and children in, in, the, in the house um, sometimes results in, a, in, and I'm not saying anybody dying is a positive, but this woman surviving is a positive, right? So um, not every single gun in the home with the child, 12 and 15 and 16 year olds, um, ends up, you know, in, in, in a bad situation, right? Or it leads to a death or an accidental shooting or something like that. This is obviously um, looks like it's going to be justified based on the story and the police um, saying that. But, you know, I mean, one one thing I just I wish I could impress upon like some people is that like um, yeah people change but man if this dude is like shooting off rounds in the home because he's angry and he's already has like two restraining orders against him you know he's a he's the restrained party and two restraining orders from two other women I mean like seriously think about getting a different dude to be around. You know, and I don't want to judge her, like say like, oh, you're, it's her fault. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like, we got to like look at our situation and our, our surroundings and say like, am I putting myself and my kids in, in, in jeopardy? Um, and this dude, obviously he's a felon. He got his hands on a firearm somehow, even though he's not allowed to. Um, apparently, you know, he didn't pass a background check or go through the regular routine or maybe she straw purchased it for him or one of his other girlfriends or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I muted myself because it's kind of loud outside. I've got <laughs> lightning and thunder and uh, pretty intense rain coming down right now. Good stuff. We could definitely use the moisture. I'm just always paranoid here in Colorado. We've been, you know, we're known to get some pretty large hail at times. And uh, it's always one of those things like, please, not the roof and not the vehicles. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not fancy like Jacob and, and able to park in the garage all the time. Okay, so, um, you know, this is, like, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I, I, I struggle a little bit with stories like this. Like, of course, of course this is justified. Like, there's no reason why this young girl, uh, she didn't do anything wrong, right? It, according to police, the, the mother had significant bruises from the attack, uh, and it specifically said that he was choking her. So I, I read that as, she had bruising, you know, around her neck. Um, you know, whether he would have actually gotten to the point of killing her or not is irrelevant. He is, uh, commi- you know, he's threatening her with basically death, right? And the girl did the right thing, I think, to pull the trigger. So justified shoot. It's a justified save. That's why it's in this category today. What I struggle with a little bit is the fact that. Uh, that a 12-year-old boy was able to just go grab a gun and hand it to his sister. And mm-hmm. it said in this article that there were multiple guns in the house, and it apparently sounds like uh, these were not secured in any fashion. Now, that should not come as a, sur- as a surprise. Knowing that this gentleman is a convicted felon, that he has other charges on his record, this is not a typical responsible gun owner. But that's that's what you know is concerning to me. Like I'm glad that these kids were able to get a hold of a gun to defend their mother when they needed to. At the same time, 
you know, it, it, you see that kind of that, uh, it's just, you know, you, you guys all do you as far as what, what is appropriate for you and your family and your children. I think it's not unreasonable that, at some, and I know that there are those that would disagree with me on this, and I know especially on the pro-gun control side, the anti-gun side would, would think that this statement's ridiculous. But I think, you know, depending on my child and depending on what I know about them and, and the level of training they've received and and how safe they are, you know, that I have personally witnessed, you know, f- through years of training and education, I, I don't... I don't think it's necessarily unreasonable un, uh, that at some point I might determine that my, say my son who is, he turns 16 or 15 or whatever point I decide is appropriate, that he might know kind of where the guns are or how to access them because it might be necessary for him, provided that he's home alone or something, to get to a gun and defend himself, uh-huh. right? I I am okay with that. Now you got to make that decision for you, for your family. It's got to be an appropriate decision that I think you put some thought into. You need to be mindful of yes, many school shootings that have occurred have occurred from unauthorized individuals getting their hands on guns, including young men in fa- in households where they were able to get access to those guns. So if I grant my son the ability to gain access to a firearm, I need to also be a responsible father, a good father that knows exactly what, what, where my son is at right now, what he's going through, uh, where he's at mentally, you know, is he struggling with anything at school? Like if that's the case, then any sort of access to a firearm has got to go away. Uh, Yeah. I have to be responsible about that. I've got to, I've got to know what's going on in my kids' lives. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we need to use common sense, which as Rob commented a few minutes ago is not all that common and we need to be responsible. Okay. We need to be good human beings. We need to be decent parents. Uh, we need to be involved in the lives of our children. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that this worked out the way it did, that we didn't manage to somehow, you know, for these kids to, to hurt themselves because they had very obvious access to firearms, but that when it, when they needed to, they were able to get a hold of something to put an end to a vicious and violent and deadly attack against their mother. Next justified safe story from KXLY.com. This is Northern Idaho, the Coeur d'Alene area. Um, I love Coeur d'Alene, by the way. It's a beautiful area of Northern Idaho. Around 1 p.m. Saturday, an armed man wearing a motorcycle helmet walked into the Global Credit Union in Coeur d'Alene. Stop right there. (laughs) (laughs) If you watch any videos of John Correa's on active self-protection, or if you follow Greg Elifritz at all uh, in in his writings over at – oh, shoot. Both of those guys' companies are very similarly named. You got active self-protection, which is John Correa, and Greg Elifritz is uh, – oh, shoot. I'm going to look it up. (laughs) Anyway – uh, they're not necessarily related to one another, although I believe they know each other. Active response training—that's Greg yeah, Elfritz's right. com- company. Um, I, I've seen this this sort of mantra come from both of these gentlemen. In fact, I think Greg just posted about this recently. Dude walking into store with motorcycle helmet on—that's a sign that something's about to go down. <laughs> a credit union, right? So you see that? Yeah, Rob just commented. Active response training. Yep, yep. Um, so. That's a sign 
that something's going down, you need to be exiting or making preparations to, you know, that to do whatever you got to do, right? So that's what happens here. Dude with motorcycle helmet walks into this credit union. He produces a gun and the security guard, I'm actually amazed there was a security guard in the bank because I don't go to a bank that has a security guard, drew his own weapon and fired at the suspect, hitting him at least once. The suspect tried to run, but collapsed from his injuries inside the building. Good job. Sounds like I have hail coming down now. (laughs) Great. Yeah. um, Now, quite often, most of our justified save stories are, you know, civilians or just like regular people that use self-defense. This guy was not a cop. He's a security guard. Kind of is bridging that gap a little bit between civilian and police. But, hey, it's still a good shoot, right? Armed robbery. Dude had a weapon. Security guard happened to be there. Uh, I would like to think that security guard saw the helmet went, "Mm, I better be ready for this. And uh, he was able to do what he had to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it kind of reminds me, or or you could apply this to civilian, uh, you know, you said little pre-indicators, you know, dude walking with the helmet, um, probably not going to end up very good. Um, you know, your, your situational awareness, obviously, but like if you work in this place that doesn't prohibit firearms, right, and it doesn't have a, a security guard, maybe, you know, you position your desk or or however you can to be kind of not a security guard, but, you know, if you're one of those people that has good situational awareness and OPSEC and things like that, where you're constantly scanning and things like that, maybe you could kind of, you know, not, if not only for your own safety, your coworkers, um, you know, you, you could be kind of that, that first line of defense type thing. So you could look, it, it, I'm not saying you have to, it's, you're not under any moral obligation or, you know, but you know, you could take, you could take up that role um, to a certain degree, maybe. Yeah, totally. Interesting story. Good stuff there. All right. Next story. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Armed robber shot killed by two civilians at convenience store. And this happened in Indianapolis, Indiana, on fox59.com. It is reported. Yeah, I'm getting it loaded up right here. My computer is kind of slow. Um, all right, so Indianapolis, Indiana, police believe two customers shot at an armed robber at a get-go. It's a uh, gas station on the northeast side of town this evening. Police received a call around 6.30 p.m., so not super late, about an armed man attempting to rob the convenience store located near the intersection of Pendleton Pike and Shadale, Shadeland Avenue. Police say the man arrived at the get-go in a stolen vehicle. All right. Uh, when the man pulled out a gun, police believe two armed customers fired multiple shots at the suspect. Uh, PD found the suspect in critical condition from a gunshot wound, EMS transports, but he dies at the hospital. Um, so here, here's the thing. I don't know. That's all that's in this story. I don't know if these two armed uh, people knew each other, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that there are two armed uh, civilians, right? I would assume with concealed carry uh, licenses. And, uh, and so the thing is, is if they don't know each other, you know, that we're always, we're always here like, oh my God, it, there's going to be all this chaos if, if two concealed carriers pull out a firearm during an incident, right? And maybe it just stars aligned and they, you know, there was a sure way that they didn't uh, mistakenly or mistake each other for, for the bad guy. Maybe they knew each other. So they, you know, they knew that they weren't the guy robbing the, robbing the store. Um, 
but I thought it was interested, interesting in, in the fact that there are two, um, because, you know, think about all the, all the concealed handgun licenses that are out there. Um, you know, you're likely to have, you're probably not the only person in that store or in that area with a, with a concealed handgun license. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because what if there are two bad guys and only one good guy, you know, you get that outnumbered, um, thing going on where you have multiple threats and now capacity is an issue. Now tactics are an issue. Um, you know, so I thought it was pretty cool that there were actually two and they both engaged the suspect. They both, um, you know, were successful in stopping the, stopping the robbery and, uh, and neither one of them injured each other or anybody else. So, um, I wish I knew if they knew each other or not, because that would kind of help me kind of give them kudos in right. a certain way where, where, the, where it's due. Yeah, it's actually a story with few in the way of details. It's a relatively uh, short and sweet story. Um, but I, I wanted to highlight it on the podcast today because uh, I, I found it, it definitely caught my attention that you have a typical kind of convenience store robbery and you have two customers that are armed and are able to respond and put a stop to that. Uh, that's uh, pretty pretty fascinating stuff. It just isn't something you, that happened. I mean, yeah, we might read something where you have one armed civilian <laughs> that is able to stop, but to have two there in the same place, I definitely understand why you want to know whether these guys were together, whether they knew one another or not. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have a an armed guy with a gun. I mean, this is a good shoot, right? It's a justified shoot. Um, why, hence why it's in our justified save segment today. It's just another one of those things that, okay, we just talked about, you know, the need for being aware in the, uh, uh, in the bank scenario, paying attention to pre-attack indicators, a dude wearing a, a helmet. I mean, why is he wearing a helmet? I mean, I'll be honest, occasionally I've seen guys, you know, people that will leave their helmet on for a quick transaction because, it, it takes, you know, some amount of effort to undo the buckle and pull it off. And, you, you know, it just like, I, I can kind of understand that, but it, it is one of those things where I'm going to take note of that when the guy, you know, when, when I see somebody in a business or in a store, in a restaurant, and they're leaving the helmet on. Um, same is true of this convenience store situation. You know, a lot of times pre-attack indicators, uh, somebody will come in with a hoodie Right now, that's not an unheard of thing in this world either. People wear hoodies all the time, uh, but if you see this and it's a super hot day, right, uh, or hot and humid, whatever, like in July or August, it's probably a little strange that somebody has a hoodie on and they've got the hood on their head because that's hot and uncomfortable. In November, December, depending on what part of the country you live in, might not be that unusual, but it's still something I'm going to take note of. And when someone comes in and their head is covered. Take take notice. Um, same is true. Like there's plenty of times where uh, robbers will throw they'll they'll pull a t-shirt up over their head. They're just doing everything every little thing they can, or they'll even hold it in front of their face. Now that's definitely a real obvious one. Anytime somebody's holding something over their face, they're definitely trying to conceal their identity from you know primarily cameras and stuff or being identified by a clerk. So this these two stories are just great stories. I think in that something. Now you might, it could just be that a dude comes in with a gun, like you're going to write off the bat what's going on. But if you have that opportunity to see some sort of indication prior to that attack or that threat presenting itself, be watching for that stuff, recognize it for what it is, and then be ready. And first and foremost, we always are more concerned with evading that situation, um, getting 
away from that situation, avoiding it in the first place if possible. But if and when you feel like it is unavoidable, it's then you got to be ready to act and re- react with with extreme prejudice. <laughs> you know, in other words, that you got to be the one that's going to win that fight. Unfortunately for this suspect, he was the one that was outnumbered. Quite often it goes the other way around in that he had two good civilians that had him uh, in their clutches. Uh, they, they, they were winning that fight that day. Crazy stuff. And Oppie's, uh, I think it's Oppie. Oppie? Opie? Correct me if I got it wrong. Uh, but uh, he says body language. Yes, always be watching that body language. Gant says, or Gant, Gant, I'm, I'm going to go with Gant. Uh, says good stuff, guys. Thanks. I, I appreciate that you uh, that you appreciate what we're doing on the podcast here. Um, next up, we got a story here from ClickToHouston.com. This one seems to come up quite often on the podcast. There's lots of things that happen in Houston for whatever reason. Woman will not be charged after shooting bicyclist who exposed himself. Police say. Now I'm going to be careful describing the story to you, recognizing the oftentimes family. Uh, you know, appropriate quality of this show. And we want to stay within that. But uh, on Tuesday, I take it this was about a week ago, police said a man was shot while riding a bicycle in Houston, Southeast Houston. uh, And this occurred while he was committing a certain sexual act on himself. Okay. This is a pretty (laughs) weird story. About 6.30 p.m. near a home, uh, so it's a residential area. You got a dude riding his bike and doing this sexual act. Um, a woman was taking out her trash and told the man, she, she saw him, he's coming down the street to get away from her home, but police said he followed her to the door. The man's name is Johnson, by the way. <laughs> Johnson attempted to enter the woman's house where her grandchildren were inside. She told him to stay away and not come in the house or she would get a gun and shoot him. The woman did get a gun and fired a shot through the door, striking Johnson in the chest. He rode away on his bike but collapsed in the street. Hmm. I mean, this is just one of those bizarro land stories, you know, like... Dude on bike doing something pretty weird to do on a bike in public. And he encounters a woman and follows her to basically try to get into the house. She grabs the gun and ends up shooting through the door at him. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, this is kind of a unique situation for a lot of different reasons. We had a situation, a story we shared recently on the podcast where a woman also shot through the door or through the door jam or something at a guy. Now, all these kind of things, these sorts of things are going to be situationally dependent. Like, I don't generally advocate that we shoot through doors at people, but depending on the situation, that might be what's called for, right? Uh, if you got this guy and it's very apparent that he is trying to, that he is going to do something to you, that he's going to harm you, uh, he's going to force his way into your house. Uh, I mean, kind of the general rule of thumb is shoot them once they get, you know, once they start coming through the door, right? Um, that's probably like the better bet in most legal contexts, but, uh, that's not what happened here. Uh, but she obviously did what she felt she needed to do. It does. It, the, the title of the story says that she will not be charged after shooting him. So they obviously looked at the situation investigators did and felt that there was, there was nothing to pursue here. So 
pretty yeah. crazy story. What's your take, yeah. Matthew? I, I mean, th- the, what struck me is, you know, obviously, like you said, most of the time we'll say, hey, don't shoot through a door, right? And we're assuming shooting through the door means it's closed, right? We're not through, shooting through the door frame or, or anything like that while it's open. Um, but why wouldn't you want to shoot through a door? Well, you want to be able to identify your, your target, right? So you can't typically do that if the door is closed. You can't see through it um, unless it's a glass door or maybe it's a screen door. I don't know. It, it doesn't really say. Um, we're assuming that it's a solid door that you can't see through. So that would be one one reason why you wouldn't want to. And the other one would be if they are, not to say it is impossible, but you know, like you said, typically when somebody breaches the front door and they're actually coming into your home, you can, you can easily, more easily articulate and justify a shot, uh, taking a shot because this person has not only shown the intent, but is actually now doing, you know, doing that and coming into your home and trying to assault you. In this case, the woman is a, a grandmother at least, right? So we don't know how old she is, but she's a grandmother. And, and you know, so you have to look at the, the totality of the scenario, right? She has grandchildren in the home. She's a grandmother. Um, this dude is obviously acting bizarre, right? Not your typical bike rider in the morning, right? And after, and he's already doing, um, doing an act that, that could indicate that he is going to try to do something to her similarly. Right. And so these are all like factors that I would be thinking like, okay, is this justified? And then she retreats to her home. He follows her. And, you know, while it's not obviously ideal to shoot through the door, cause you can't see where that guy is. Maybe she just slammed the door. He was already, you know, kind of pushing through that threshold. She's thinking if he gets in here, he might overpower me and not, and then I can't deploy my firearm. Right. And so based on her size and her, her strength and, and then he, you know, goes in, in, in attacks the children. Right. So I think in this case, like if you're looking at it as, you know, this woman saying, I, I thought this guy was going to come in and overpower me. He was obviously acting very bizarrely different than shooting through the door because somebody's pounding on it and you're saying, go away, go away. And they're saying, Hey, let me in, let me in. Like one of the s- stories we shared, which was kind of like what not to do where it was a, you know, the person was just drunk. They mistake, it was a mistaken you know, they thought they were going to their friend's house or whatever it was, and they were pounding on the door. And that person just shoots through the door a little bit different in this, this scenario. And I think that's probably why, um, why they're saying like at face value, you know, she's probably not going to be charged. And, and, the, and the crazy thing is, is that this is not the first time that this dude did this. Uh, it said Johnson attempted to leave the scene. Um, it said, police said the man was arrested last week for running around the same area naked. So there you go. Yep. Um, yep. Not a, not a sane dude. Yep. Crazy story, dude. And, uh, Oppie comments that, uh, the whole story is probably not being told. And, and that's kind of what we're saying here too, is that, you know, we read these stories. We don't know. Maybe, maybe she shot to the door as he was pulling that door open, uh, whatever it is. Um, and that's, what's so challenging about us always, you know, on a weekly basis, analyzing stories like this, because frequently we don't get the whole story. And I'll tell you is we rarely actually see too 
the follow-up stories to these situations. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we do where we see, you know, months down the road that, hey, you know, this person's not being charged and it gives us a little more detail as to why that's the case. But, you know, we can't keep track of everything. Uh, So, you know, we rarely see those updates. Anyway, last justified save story from the Auburn Journal, auburnjournal.com. The Eldorado County Sheriff's Office is reporting that an intruder was hospitalized after a homeowner in Cool, Cool is like the name of the town, uh, fired several rounds at the suspect. The incident took place in Cool's Indian Rock Road area on Monday night. The initial report to authorities was that a home invasion was taking place. The caller said a man entered their residence and began damaging the inside. The caller was able to safely escape with his wife and young child to a neighbor's residence. Minutes later, a second 911 call was fielded by dispatchers from a home near the one where the family had just escaped from. An intruder had broken through their locked, screened porch, uh, the caller told authorities. The intruder then shattered a glass door to the home and attempted entry as he was being ordered by the homeowner to leave. The homeowner, fearing for the safety of his family, fired multiple rounds at the suspect. The intruder was transported to a local hospital with gunshot wounds and was expected to survive. Because of the ongoing investigation, the sheriff's office had not released any more information other than what we've just shared with you. This is quite a story. And I left this in the outline. I want to share this with with our listeners today because a couple of reasons. Now, we don't know all the reasons why the the first homeowner escaped from the home with his family. But what I like about it is that he actually did that. That instead of trying to fight or encounter, I mean, Okay, I want to be careful with how you take this, by the way. But instead of trying to fight or counter this home invader, he got his family and they got out of the situation. They got away from the situation, out of the home. Like, is that an option? Like, do we have to grab the gun and shoot the intruder? No, we don't. Provided that we can, you know, get out of the home and do so safely without putting, I think, ourselves at greater risk. Now, it's possible this homeowner didn't have something to defend themselves with. That's entirely possible. Maybe that's why they they chose to instead escape from the home. But I just thought this was interesting because this is a little bit different take than a lot of the other situations we cover where most so many of our stories are home intruder, homeowner shot, home intruder. End of story, right? This one starts out with the homeowner, the initial homeowner, getting out of the house with his family and doing so safely. Then a second home invasion, likely committed by the same intruder, results in that case, in that homeowner, shooting the intruder. I've sometimes I've wondered reading the story if this was a home where that family had escaped to. We don't know that. It doesn't say that. And, and actually, I think that's probably not the case here. But my other secondary thought to this, Matthew, was... Just because you get yourself away from the situation doesn't mean the situation's over. So you still have to keep that that guard up, that you know awareness level up. Uh, you, you can't ever like if you just got out of a situation, you can't ever start thinking that okay everything's cool now. Like you until you know it's cool, until you know police have showed up to the scene, that things are secured that that intruder has either been arrested or you're fairly confident he's gone. Like, don't let your guard down. Stay alert, stay ready. Um, and yeah, this is just quite a, quite a, quite a situation here. 
Yeah. I, and, and I just kind of pulled up the area out there and it looks like a pretty like rural area. And, and, and the reason why I wanted to look at that is think about the time frame here, right? So somebody calls in and says, Hey, somebody's breaking into our home or someone has already broken into our home and they're destroying the inside. They have the time to escape, get to a neighbor's home. Now, I don't know it looks like a, a, a rural area, but not like where your your neighbor is yeah. three miles away. And it's also doesn't look like an area where it's like a condominium complex where they're three feet away. So some time has to pass for you to be able to get from your home to the neighbor's home. Yeah. And then they're calling in another home invasion. So, so in my mind, the police have not yet arrived on scene, right? Yeah. So- so by, by the way, this is, is California, in case people were wondering. Cool is the name of the town. This is near Auburn, California, just like northeast uh, Sacramento. Just to give right. me some context as far as where this is. Anyway, continue. No, and, and so that was like, I mean, you hit all, all the nails on the head as far as like everything else. and But just the one thing that kind of, po- you know, kind of was in the back of my mind is like the time frame here. And, the, and, and you look at the two different outcomes, right? And like you said, Sometimes fleeing is the best, you know, we don't always have to fight, right? Some people say, you know, oh, well, they come into my house, they're leaving in a body bag. That's fine. I mean, if that's, if you think you have to fight every fight, then, then that's, that, that's on you. But sometimes not fighting is the best way. Um, and, and we don't know if this, this family or this, this, these people left their home because they couldn't defend themselves or they chose, they could have, but they chose that was the best option. But then you look at the other home and they had a firearm and they were able to ultimately stop this guy from, you know, I mean, basically it's like the three pigs. You run from one house to the next to the next. I mean, eventually you have to stop the bad wolf, right? And and so, like, I think the fact that they had a firearm ultimately allowed them to stop this dude um, because apparently just fleeing wasn't enough for this guy um to stop and and like we said i, I don't know the, the the backstory who this guy is maybe he's a relative of one of these people or I, I don't i don't really know but um i i thought it was interesting the time you know the time frame and the fact that you have two different outcomes or two different options and, and if the one the first family didn't have the option their only option is to either fight this guy or run Whereas the other people at least had an option to say, no, we're going to stand our ground in our home and protect our, protect our family. So that's kind of what popped out to me. Yep. Yep. Good stuff, man. That's great analysis. Well, that's what we do here at the podcast. Uh, Hopefully it's helpful to somebody out there. I don't know. If you like the podcast, let us know. Shoot us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. And be sure to leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play, depending on which uh, preferred uh, platform it is that you use. Uh, We do appreciate those reviews, and sometimes we share those on the podcast. We've kind of gotten away from doing that consistently. But maybe next episode, who knows? Maybe we'll surprise you. I've actually thought about doing some sort of like giveaway or something relating to people leaving reviews or something. I don't know. We'll have to think about that. That's just a little, little tease for you. So, um, yeah, with that, it is time to wrap it up. It's been a, it's been dang near two hours, dude. Like these news episodes are just, they're just, oh, it's just getting crazy, man. Like there's so much going on in the, in this world. Uh, and you know, we, we just feel like we wouldn't do it justice if we didn't talk about some of these things. Um, so anyway, 
give us your feedback. Let us know, uh, or shoot us, shoot us your questions too. We'll probably do some more Q and a at some point in an upcoming episode. I've, I've got, I've got a, a stack here still on the desk of, uh, questions that have come in through the email, uh, line or, uh, also through uh, Facebook and whatnot as well. So in fact, I just printed off a new one today that, uh, I thought was, was pretty interesting. So anyway, stay tuned. So with that, we're going to let you go. Matthew, thanks for doing the podcast with me, with me today. And, and thank, thank you, you to everyone on Facebook participating uh, live today. And uh, for all your comments and, and participation, this is this is great. Uh, Justin, it's really good to see you. By the way, Justin, um, I want to thank you for the letter you sent. Yes, Justin sent a letter, handwritten. I don't know who does that anymore, but apparently Justin does. And I'm going to send you a response, buddy, but I just wanted you to know I got it. And I haven't yet been able to share it with everybody else uh, that, that it uh, pertains to. Uh, but I wanted to let you know, thank you, buddy. That means a lot. Uh, maybe we'll uh, send something special to Justin. Hmm, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do something a little special for you, Justin, since you took the time to write, write that and send it. So... With that, uh, time to let you go. Uh, sounds like the uh, you know wrapping up as the storm outside is finishing here at my house too. So that's cool. I'll go outside and see if there's any damage. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was coming down pretty good. I could. Uh, I, I'm in the in in the bunker here at home. My home office is in the bunker. It's in the basement. And uh, when I can hear things substantially down here in the bunker, that means it's it's pretty loud up top. So anyway, thank you all. Uh, we, we wish you all the best and hope everyone out there stays safe and that you also are responsible. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.